0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome, everyone, to Moving Forward. I am your host this week, Krista Nepper, and today my guest is Darcy Benenkosa. Darcy is a photographer and is a leader of women everywhere. Darcy, thank you so much for being here today.
1: It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for
0: having me. So I just mentioned you're a leader among women. Can you tell us what you do? Just what are you passionate about and what do you do for work?
1: Well, that's a long question, but I will I will summarize it. So the first thing that I do is I run my own business, it's um, Bellicosa, and it's Bellicosa Photography and Film, and I make movies and I take photos all over the world. I get to travel to exciting places like LA and New York and Paris and London, and I just booked a job in Singapore and I have one in the works for Russia, Moscow, which I'm really excited about. So that's my first job. And and I have spent years building that to become my own boss and to be in charge of my life and to have control over my money and to know everything there is to know about running a business. And now I have just launched my second business, and it is called the Oya Experience. And Oya is the um, African goddess of transformation. So she's a warrior and a goddess, and it's spelled O-Y-A. And it stands for Own Your Authenticity. And it's truly about helping women transform their lives and, you know, become the people that they're meant to become and really find that empowerment and that liberation.
0: I love that. First, I want to hear a little bit more about your own story. So you mentioned, you know, you're an entrepreneur. It took you years to build this business. You're in control of your money. So tell us, I know you were a school teacher previously. So how did you make that big leap? I think it's a big leap for a lot of our listeners from steady employment, going to a job every day to being in charge of your own destiny, as I like to say.
1: It is such a big leap, and when you're on the other side before you've made the leap, it seems impossible to ever make that jump. But once you've jumped and you realize that the universe loves you and supports you and has your back and money comes in and you're making it work and this is truly your passion, then you look back and can't imagine your life any other way. So I was in education for 14 years, and I became a school teacher. When I graduated from my university, I had a degree in English because I wanted to be a writer, and I imagined writing movies and screenplays and for television and all of these things, but I got a teaching degree just in case, and it was my plan B, and I remember I was starting to get more and more dispassionate about teaching the educational systems in America have really taken taken a turn since I I tell it since the beginning of reality television and the cell phone usage among teenagers education has really changed and so I was hiding in my office during lunch one day and I was watching these little motivational videos to try and get me through my day and I remember watching this one of will Smith and will Smith you know was asked the same question how do you live your life how do you get all all of these things done? How do you make all of your dreams come true? And he basically said, I do not allow any time for plan B. I only focus on plan A. Plan B detracts from plan A always. And I realized, I just sat there and had this epiphany. Oh my gosh, I've been living my plan B life for 14 years and I'm not going to do it anymore. And I don't care if I become homeless and have to live on my little old parents couch for a while while I figure this out I'm going to make the shift and before that for about two years I had been taking photos for people not for a lot of money I had really only been interested in photography as a hobby I had no idea how to make it a job I had no idea how to make money at it let alone good money at it and so I really dedicated myself to that and I invested and this might sound crazy to people but I invested $15,000 in workshops, business courses, different retreats in one year to really saturate myself because I was ready, I was on fire, I wanted to make the change. I was worth the money and I I that changed my life. And after I had that under my belt, I and honestly I didn't need all of those workshops. Some of them were really good, a lot of them weren't. And I I didn't need that to make the change, but it was it was almost something that I needed to do to find other people who were who were in the entrepreneur business because I hadn't ever met anybody who had left their full-time job like me you know, didn't have as many skills as maybe they should, didn't go to business school and try to make their own way in the world.
0: So you said a lot there, which I want to unpack for just a minute. So one of the things that was really important that I think you just hit on was building a community, which I know that you're now on the other side of that and you're reaching out to other women to do. But I think a big piece of what you were saying was shifting your mindset and knowing that you were worth money in doing what you loved. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? us? Absolutely. I
1: think everyone who listens to your podcast knows on some inner level that being free and being liberated means that you have to spend a lot of time, maybe not a lot, maybe 10 minutes a day, and some days maybe an hour, really changing what we're constantly told. Because most things in the media tell us, especially women, that we need to be The same and look the same, and we need to be secure. And we have this really weird definition of security in America, and I think probably in the world, but maybe more so in America because so much of our economy is insecure and we're always, you know, up and then the economy crashes and then we're down and then we've lost money in our 401k and then it's great. You know, it's a really volatile place to be in America. Um, but really, you know, we're in America, so it can't be that bad. We're, we're the luckiest people and I'm able to run my own business and I don't think I'd be able to do that in a lot of other countries. So I think it's daily practice. It's consistency. I always say Consistency and community are the two biggest keys of success, and they have been for my success. Waking up every day and not letting those thoughts of, you can't do this, it's not going to work. And trust me, they come in. They come in for every artist. But being consistently, repatterning your brain, making belief and um, self-confidence a part of your daily practice. And also having a very strong community who can talk you down from a ledge when you feel like, you know, the things have just gone so wrong now that you're just ready to go back to that salaried position and make it easy and you don't have to work hard for anything and you can just kind of let that paycheck come in every month. So consistency and community for me are the two big things that really changed my life.
0: Can you share some of your personal mantras or personal daily rituals with our audience?
1: Absolutely. So the first thing I do every day is I journal. And I, in my journaling practice, I do, um, you know, the artist way, where I do the daily pages. And then I write down my goals. And I write them down every day. And I write them with very strong I am statements. And so I think it's really powerful to tell ourselves who we are. Because we really do create our own reality and we really do become what we believe we are. And so I tell myself who I am every morning and I do that and then I, I do it with a gratitude um, and at night I do gratitude as well. And then during the day, I meditate twice a day, which is a really big commitment I practice transcendental meditation, and I learned about it from one of the many workshops I attended two years ago, and it just felt really right for me, and I think it doesn't have to be a certain type of meditation. All meditation is good, and it's all helpful, and it helps you really um, you know, get focused and calm down, and I always say, if you can't find time to meditate, you are not putting yourself first enough. And it's it's true because there are many weeks where I get off course and I realize I'm not meditating and I'm putting other people and other jobs first before my own mental health and that is probably one of the number one reasons that women get so burned out that they stop working that they go back to those secure positions because it, it does take putting yourself first for sure
0: absolutely and I think someone hearing this for the first or you know maybe even second third tenth time you don't really realize the power that gratitude can have. I remember the first time someone told me to you know, keep a gratitude journal and thinking, well, what good is that going to do? But really, it's so powerful and to just be still and to for the first time hear and listen to your inner voice. And I always quote Deepak Chopra, prayer is where we talk to God, but meditation is where we listen to God. And it can be so powerful.
1: It's so powerful. And I love that quote too. And I I agree with you. I think that... We need to find time to listen because our intuition and our inner voice, whatever we call it, really tells us who we are and what we need to be doing. It really does.
0: And you've mentioned that several times that you want to tell you who you actually are. And we have all these ideas coming and burdening us from society and the media in general. And I know that you've struggled with eating disorders from time to time. So can you tell us about your journey there and how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I I started to have a really severe eating disorder at the age of 14, and this is, you know, it's a really vulnerable thing to talk about because it was spurred on by remembering some abuse that had happened in my childhood. And I had blocked that out for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, I started having flashbacks, and I just felt really uncomfortable. And I wasn't sure if it was true or what had happened. And really, the way to get the most control in my life, in a sense, was just with eating. And so, you know, I, I became anorexic very quickly and had a really, really horrible mindset. I mean, women in food is so tied to our mindset and so tied to our worthiness and so tied to love and everybody who struggled with food has heard that a million times and so they know that but they don't really know how to get over that. And it's it's really hard, you know it's hard. I think a lot of high achievers really struggle with these secret, shameful addictions or weaknesses as they'll see it so you know whether you're addicted to overeating or addicted to undereating. it's it's this horrible relationship with food which i think is the most telling because food is nourishment food is life food is growth and when we can't get control of that we feel out of control no matter how many successes we have in the rest of our life the rest of my life i was so successful business, travel, my home, my, you know, the things that I wanted, my friends, everything was so successful and this eating disorder, which was from 14 until honestly, I feel like I'm still in recovery now, even though I have such a greater grasp on it than I ever have before. So it always seemed out of reach, but it has really taken a huge shift in my beliefs and a huge dedication to building new neural pathways in my brain. Um, to start the shift. And a lot of women, I think, don't know where to start the shift. And they don't know how deeply trapped they are by the media, by their bodies, by their relationship with food, all of that. And it's a very scary thing. And it's a very vulnerable thing. And I think it has a lot of shame and guilt around it. Because especially when you become an adult, it's like, I really, I can't master the basic Aspect of feeding myself. (laughs) That seems crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, you said a, a lot there. And I think one of the things, as I've interviewed people, childhood traumas and childhood abuse is such a common theme. And we do try to mask it because, of course, we have a three, four, five year old brain that is attempting to deal with that type of abuse. So blocking it out is a very common thing. And then when it arises in adulthood or even adolescence, as it did with you, we're still in that three, four year old mindset trying to solve the problem rather than being able to, because our limbic system has been triggered, back up, unpack it, and figure out how to proceed from there. And you listed, you know, food is nourishment. But one of the things that I think, especially being Italian, food is love, too. And so attempting to find love and reward yourself with love in that way, especially as a female, it's oh, it's such an uphill battle.
1: Oh, my goodness. You're right. Food is love. Food is amazing. And so <laughs> you know, it's so fun. And it's really hard to feel like you don't deserve it. And there were many years where I felt bad, shameful, weak for eating anything, a banana, an apple, just eating the act of eating itself was so entrenched in negativity for me that it made me feel horrible. And, you know, I, it's, During a stage where I was in a better place than during my teenage years, I went and worked in Switzerland at a clinic for girls with eating disorders, and I was an amazing counselor because I could understand every single thing that was going on inside the brain. And truly it's negative neural pathways that we have confirmed and confirmed and confirmed again and again and again. And many people don't feel like they'll ever be able to get out of that. And the main ways that we got people better was love. And it Mm -hmm. seems really funny, but each person who came would have five workers with them. Um, Ideally, sometimes we only had three because the clinic was really small, and they would just be there to love them. So we would go grocery shopping with them. And I remember standing in a grocery aisle with one of my girls, and it took her 15 minutes, to choose between two types of yogurt because one was not, you know, fat free something or other. Not really fat free. They don't do that in Switzerland because they're awesome, but it was <laughs> less fat than another one. Logically, she knew she needed the one with more fat, but emotionally, she could not make, she was having a very hard time making that decision. And I had to just sit there and tell her how worthy she was of that decision. Everything she ate, I told her how worthy it was and how much she was loved and how her body, you know, was. And every day we journaled what her negative beliefs were and what the true, loving, worthy beliefs were. And it takes, it took those girls, I mean, they would arrive, you know, five, sixty four 64 pounds. So this is extreme, wow, extreme wow. anorexia. But in two years, they were healed. Like we had repatterned their brain with loving thoughts instead of focusing on, you know, instead of the negative ones that had really created. Deep, deep, deep neural pathways. And so I know a lot of people, maybe they aren't as much into talking about the universe or you are what you create. And maybe that sounds really spiritual and too much for them, but it's honestly neural pathways in your brain. So when I say that I tell myself who I am every morning, I'm formulating that in my brain to believe it and I'm setting myself up for success. I say it's that easy, but consistency is not that easy because we have so many distractions in our world today that it's really hard to be consistent.
0: I think that's so true and I always wonder and it's funny you were talking earlier about the fact that you do this every day you wake up with a mantra you wake up with a ritual and what happens when you don't meditate or when you don't write down your goals every day and I had a couple of weeks prior where you know I slipped and I it was hard to get back on that path and I was wondering why do I put myself last why is it so easy to not do what I know is going to make me feel better and I think more to the point for our listeners What do you recommend to them as far as building the new neural pathways, as you mentioned? Is is it the daily writing? Is it the meditation? Is there more to it that you would suggest?
1: Well, first of all, I would say that nobody should feel bad for putting themselves last because basically our culture has been putting women last for centuries. And it has been pounded into our belief system day after day after day. So it's really hard for women to put themselves first. There is very rarely anything that tells us put ourselves first. And if, and if we do tend to, other women and maybe men, but I feel like women can be really hard on this, tell us that we are selfish, that we have big egos. Women are revered in our culture for putting people first, for putting their husbands first. And maybe, and it's starting to shift, but I still think that it's not shifted as much as we think it has. We are revered for taking care of the children, for putting the children first, for putting everybody else first. We get a lot of applause for that because we become martyrs and we somehow have really positive views of martyrs. I don't know. Martyrdom doesn't sound great to me, if I'm- <laughs> <clears throat> but our culture like loves them. We love them. So, um, Yeah. So you really have to get over this idea that you're being selfish or, you know, I've really changed the way that word plays to me because I grew up in a culture where that was a really bad thing to be. And now I'm really happy if I can be selfish and selfish doesn't mean, you know, stealing the last piece of bread out of somebody's hands or something. It means, hey, yeah, I do take time for myself every day to do this. And if I don't get to your email, I don't get to your email. And, um, That's kind of where you have to put it. So um, you talked about daily practices of doing that. And yes, there are the consistent things uh, that you do. And I can go into depth in more detail of that. But my personal thing is it's your emotion. So you have to become very fierce about learning to be a receiver. And you have to become very dedicated about giving to yourself and you have to, you have to put a lot of emotion. You have to become very, very invested in your life's mission. If you just wake up and you don't feel too much excitement, like, Oh, I want to do that. I really want to change the world, but man, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, and you have that, apathy about it, which we all battle because TV and our cell phones and Facebook, they there's so much coming at us that a lot of times we just shut down and we just become apathetic and think there's so much out there and there's so many people. And now we have access to people doing so many things. Do you know how many people have a mission to liberate women like I do? A lot of people. But when I look at there's 7 billion people on the planet and half of those are women then I'm like, oh, it's not a lot of people who have this mission if there are 3 billion people to reach. So you have to become very, very much your own generator of your passion and your love and your energy and giving to yourself. And you can only be have that ongoing passion and energy and joy when you're taking care of yourself. You can't have it any other way. If you're just shoving cake in your mouth every day you're not going to feel good. You're not at all. And it's, and so there's, but there's a connection because I know how much shoving cake in your mouth can be yeah. an addiction and a mental thing. And I've been there. I have shoved lots of cake in my mouth over lots of years. And so I can say that knowing that and I also say it with complete honor to how hard it is for people to make that transition. And I don't think I have time to talk completely about making that transition because it's a lot to talk about. <laughs> on this call. But I definitely do it with my coaching clients. And um, and I have a you know I have a, an audio program where I really go into depth about how to make those changes. So it's really intense. So I just want to honor everybody out there. And I'm not trying to cause any embarrassment. And I don't want anybody to think, oh, it's easy for her to say because it has definitely been the hardest journey of my life. And it has not been easy at well, all.
0: And I think that we as Americans, Brene Brown has said this before, we are the most over-medicated, in debt, uh, addicted adult society in the history of the world. And so many of us, you know, do, as you say, shove cake in our face and it can be liquor. It can be relationships. It can be, you can be addicted to anything, but in order to numb our pain rather than sitting with it being, as you said, and this blew my mind, fiercely receptive. And I love that because I think for women, we think we have to give, 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 but the definition of femininity in large part is to receive. And we have so lost our sense of that.
1: Oh, I know. Feminine energy is the best. I (laughs) am in my masculine energy a lot of the time because I work with a lot of Men in my business, and mostly men are successful in photography. Women tend to quit the business pretty early on because it is a really hard job. And when you start to get on these commercial shoots, I remember I got hired by a Magazine and I was the first assistant, right? So I had been planning everything. I was waiting for this big wig photographer to come in. Then there were two other assistants as well, and they were both male, and the, and the lead photographer was male. And so I'm in this really high, like, this was my first legit magazine shoot we were photographing all the olympic hopefuls for the the winter olympics two years ago and so when we got in there and we were planning and i was in my masculine energy then the lead photographer said okay well and the first thing we need is coffee and then they all looked to me and i literally said oh I'm supposed to get the coffee? Um, I don't think I'm supposed to get the coffee, but it was interesting because they had all looked to me, the woman, about getting the coffee. So that's that's a little side note to say I get in my masculine energy a lot in work because I don't want people to just be like, "Oh yeah, that girl gets the coffee," and we have to be in that space. We have to be confident. We have to get really unemotional sometimes with some business dealings, and that's trickier for women. But. Our feminine energy is so, so amazing. And I love feeling feminine and feeling feminine. That doesn't mean feeling weak or wearing pink or being delicate, not being able to pick up my bags or something while I'm while I'm traveling. But it can be a very vulnerable, a very receiving, a very confident energy. And it's this confidence that I adore. And it's this confidence that says I am worthy and I am lovable and I deserve and I receive. And to to do that, it's a very brave, brave thing, because I think feminine energy has gotten a mixed bag of definitions and interpretations in our society. So,
0: yeah. Hey, Moving Forward listeners. If you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of The Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. I, yes, I and I think that's really important that you emphasize that, that feminine femininity or feminine energy is not weakness. It's not being subordinate. These are, you know, two sides of the same coin, and you need one in order to have the other, and they're both of equal importance. And we both have, both men and women have masculine and feminine energy, and you have to decide when you're going to be in each. I certainly don't want to be masculine in my intimate relationships, and I don't want to be feminine if I'm in the workforce, especially in a male-dominated role. And I think that there are probably a lot of women I certainly can relate to being in a room full of men and then looking at you to get the coffee. And it's a very... Demeaning thing when you've spent, you know, as you mentioned, the year you spent fifteen thousand dollars taking workshops and classes. So this could be your profession, and I put myself through law school, and it can be really hurtful when you go in with everything you've got. You know, you have to be more than a hundred percent because of the audience in which you're dealing with, and then that's how they choose to see you.
1: Yeah, it can be, and there's a way you can deal with that pain. I mean, obviously. For me, and and honestly, it came from one of my best friends who is a black male in our society, which we have seen as you know, especially
0: recently, yeah,
1: a lot of issues with that. And he's 45 now, and he is one of the most successful people that I know. And I and I always ask him, like, how did you? You've had to have dealt with so much racism coming up the ladder. He's like, oh, absolutely. He's like, I don't pay attention to it, and he truly doesn't. I have been with him where people have treated him less than. And it's so crazy to me because he's such this intelligent, beautiful person that I I can't believe this 45 year old man, you know, in the South would be like called boy or something. Like, hey boy, what are you doing, you know? And um, sexism is the same thing. It's been in our culture for generations and we are the pioneers and we're out there and we're kicking ass. And that's all I tell myself. I'm like, they just don't know. And I'm not gonna get upset and I'm not gonna give them my energy. I'm not going to give them that and a lot of women give them that and it was so funny because last night I had a friend who was like I'm calling all my energy back to me and she sent me this article the Danielle Laporte article and, <laughs> I just read and that. <laughs> it, where Danielle Laporte like just stands in the middle of the room and is like I call all my energy back to me now and I did that last night even though I feel like my energy is mostly my own and it felt good and so yeah sexism exists sure I'm not going to pretend that these bad things don't exist but I'm also not going to let it defeat me I'm not going to let them get the better of me I almost want to just pat them on their little heads and say, oh, that's where you're at mentally. Okay. I see. Don't worry. I can, I can deal with that. And I can, and we all can. And if we let it defeat us or go home and we shove ice cream in our faces because we feel so defeated. And sometimes we can shove ice cream in our face. Then how's that moving us forward in life? And you, and you and I have talked about this a lot too. The main way to be happy in life is to move forward. It's progress. So when you're making progress you're going to be happy and it's not like you're always in a forward motion. All of us are gonna have serious setbacks and they're going to teach us too. And it's and they're gonna be hard. And we don't have to be positive all the time. Negative feelings spur us to change. When I was in my educational career, I was sitting in that office dreading the next class coming in, that was not a positive feeling. It was a very negative, uncomfortable, unhappy feeling. But I could Because it was so negative and so uncomfortable and so unhappy, I knew I couldn't stay that way because I deserved more out of life. Life is so much more. And I'm not going to wait until some afterlife promises of getting some great reward that I don't actually live the best life
0: I can live on this earth. I love that because it emphasizes being present and being in the now. And you also raised a point, thank you for the segue, to my next question. So I know that you were raised in the Mormon faith. And we just talked about sexism. We just talked about the promise of an afterlife. Tell us about your upbringing. Tell us how it influenced your adult life. How did you transition from that childhood to the life that you're living now?
1: I will say to all the listeners, that, and they'll all relate to this, that we have all been raised with methods of thinking that may or may not have been beneficial for us, even if our parents thought they were. So what I will say about Mormonism First of all, I just have to make a clear little statement that it is such a misunderstood and innocent religion. It is, it is really actually a very normal Christian religion. It's so similar to other religions, but it just has like an extra book and they're very, very serious about their commandments. And some of their commandments are a little, a little much, but when I was Mormon, The the thing I've done in my life is whatever I do, I'm the best at. So I was a really good Mormon. I was really good, and it taught me faith and compassion and humanity. And for a long time, I really believed that those virtues – could only be found by going to church every week and by being really in a religion. And, and at the time, you know, I had been raised so strictly in it. I was growing up in Utah, 97% of my high school was Mormon. There was no other way to be like, I, I didn't know how else to not be Mormon. And as I grew up and I started really traveling and looking and Seeing what my spirituality was, well, you know, I really didn't believe that a religion should have con- complete control over a person's um, sexuality, which Mormonism really does. I think a lot of religions try to, but Mormonism is very successful at this. I, um, and this is another vulnerable thing, but I didn't leave Mormonism until I was 30, which is crazy. Thus, I was a 30-year-old virgin because I did not have sex before that because you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage, and I have definitely made up for it now. <laughs> But uh, I feel like I'm always trying to make up for it in a way because that was a long time to be a virgin. But, um, you know, so, and it, do, it didn't leave room for powerful women. No, I looked at the church and no woman was in a leadership position. Yes, they could be leaders over the women classes, but they couldn't ever be main leaders in the church with a real voice and a real say they could not even be in charge of the money you know Mormons bring in a lot of money 10% of the income and a woman even though women you know there was I remember being in one of my congregations and a woman it was such a powerful amazing accountant and we had this idiot man running the money and I thought why don't we just get this lady to do it but I and and that's when I found out oh we can't have women in this position and I thought what if that if my whole culture doesn't believe that Women can even be in control of the money in the congregation. How much does that say about it? And then Proposition 8 was a huge thing for me too. I, I truly believe in equal rights for anyone, no matter what their sexuality or race or or anything. And so there were a lot of reasons that I left, but leaving was a really, really hard thing for me because I lost all of my friends. I lost the respect of my family. My older sister won't let me see her, her kids or her because she feels that I've done a lot of uh, promotional movies And videos about same-sex marriage. I I have been making a documentary about it, and I have been featured on Huffington Post and Freedom to Marry. And I'm really pro-gay marriage, and that was too much for her. So growing up Mormon, it taught me I was a very innocent person, but and it taught me a lot about giving and giving and giving. And so I've really had to make the shift out of the religion finding my own spirituality still, learning that even outside of the religion, I am still faithful and I am still prayerful and I am still a humanist. And everything just expanded once I left the thing that was constricting me. And I'm not trying to put down anybody for their beliefs, but I do think we all need to take responsibility for what our community is facing and what our culture says about who we are and how we are treated.
0: And I think there's something to be said about having your greatest fears realized, to lose your friends. I mean, I'm still stuck on the 97% of your high school. That's such a a homogeneous group. And to lose your friends and to have family reject you. I mean, these are the things that, you know, will really mentioning the limbic system again, but will trigger you when you lose your tribe, you know, in uh, caveman days, when you lost your tribe, it meant certain death. So for you to do that and to stand in your own power, I cannot imagine the inner strength that that took.
1: Thank you. Um, It was really hard. It's still hard sometimes. I mean, I've been out seven years now, and I would say after year five, I finally felt okay. So Mm -hmm. it was five years of really um, feeling, gosh, just ostracized and and just really wishing that Mormonism had a space for those who aren't as much of a believers, but that they could still be inclusive Mormons. And, And maybe a lot of people, each of us get into our tribes And we have a hard time expanding out of those. And the the truth is, it's exactly the way my life was supposed to go. The experiences I had, and not all my experiences were traumatic in Mormonism. A lot of them were really lovely and really amazing. And now being outside of that, I feel like I just see the world in such a different way and that I am very strong and I, I, I just have no doubt that I can accomplish the things that I want.
0: And again, it took repattering neural pathways. But let, so let's go full circle because now, you know, you have overcome that now you're in a position where you are helping other women. And I know, uh, with your work with Oya, you are leading a retreat that is coming up. So tell our listeners about that.
1: Yeah, so it has been a retreat that is a long time in the making. The more I've been studying these principles for years and years and years, and they truly are the way that I have been able to transform my life and to make the changes. I get emails now on a constant basis of, women who are hey um, I'm kind of having these feelings but I don't know what to do about them or hey I'd really love to figure out how to live in France but that could never happen right or hey I I think I meant to do something different than what I'm doing but I don't know how to make those those leaps I get emails like that on a daily basis and I realized you know I really forged my own path but a lot of people really helped me too and most of them were online I didn't have a lot of people in person helping me you know I would start listening to Tony Robbins or I remember when I was Want to build my own business? Um, Marie Forleo was great, and I'm sure Love her person. name is in everywhere. She was great at the beginning. I, I and there, there were people online that really served me, and I'm so grateful for them. But I had very few people in my realm who were doing what I was doing. In fact, most of them were like you're crazy. Don't leave your full-time job. What are you thinking? You've only, you haven't even had, you know, when I left my full-time job, the most money I had ever made on photography in a year was $16,000. And that went all right back on it. And that was a lot to me. Like I had, you know, the years before that, I was maybe like 5,000 over the course of a year because I wasn't charging anything. And to leave it. And the first year break six figures in a business is incredibly incredible because most it's,
0: businesses lose money their first year.
1: They do. And, um, I really can't believe it happened. And it was my first full-time year in business. I will say, because I had a few months at the end of, of 2013 where I had just started, but it was my first 2014, my first full-time year in business. And I broke six figures. And so that, took a lot of studying and with the retreat, what I want to do, it's four days. And the first one is going to be held in the beautiful mountains of park city, Utah. And then after that, we're going to start taking it around the globe because we want to add in a really cool vacation factor for people who maybe don't travel very much because I'm really passionate about travel. I'm really passionate about seeing the world. I remember reading a quote by, um, Mark Twain when I was younger that said travel is fatal to prejudice and I truly believe that yeah I believe that when we see these other cultures and we visit and we get to know places we really expand I know people who have never left Utah you know in fact my own mother God bless her. I love her. Little Mormon woman. She's 67 this year and she's never left the country and she just got her first passport because I'm taking her to England to visit the sites of all of her um, relatives because Mormons are really into family history. So she is so excited. But the retreat is to start that community, to start a community where people are really invested in you creating the changes in your life. And it's really about liberation. So many women who, whether they've been raised in a religion or not, have very limited um, sexual identities. They really do. And so we talk a whole day about sexuality and we talk a whole day about money and investing and knowing where your money's going. And women really, Again, not to generalize, but many of them put these things off because they think they can't understand them, and I did that too for a long time because I'm a creative person, and creatively I always thought I can't understand numbers. You know, words are my words are my language. I numbers I don't get, and I've really had to battle that and just say no. I'm going to understand numbers and really work on that. So we have some financial people coming in to help. Um, we have a day on just transformation in general, really getting in touch with your life's purpose. Not to sound cliche, but women, a lot of women haven't done the, done the whole package. They haven't really gone internal and really figured out what they would want if they weren't afraid to want it. And some of them mm-hmm. have. But they're still afraid to want it or they right. still don't think it can happen. And so we talk about how to create your life, basically how to change your patterns so that you can set yourself up for success and the things that you need to do. Now it's not, it's not therapy, and I'm not going to, you know, counsel, I'm not gonna counsel anybody to go get a divorce. Like I would never <laughs>
0: Um, I might do that. No, I'm kidding. kidding.
1: But I will, but you know, we will focus on the tools where they can make the right decision. You know, they can make their decision for their life that will be the most beneficial to them. So I'm really Mm -hmm. excited for it. It it takes place in October this year in, in park
0: city. So yeah, it's going to be amazing. And we'll have the exact dates and the link for the application up on the VU Avant website as well. Yay. Interested. Yes, definitely. so, Last question. So if our listeners want to learn more about you and your business and of course the retreat, which I said we will have a link, but can they contact you on social media? How would they get in touch with you?
1: Yes. So I love Instagram because I'm a photographer. So I always put up beautiful photos and following me there, I I put a lot of daily life lessons and things like that. So that's Darcy Benincosa, which I know it's not an easy name, but I think you'll have a link to it. And Benincosa is Italian. It means a good thing. Benincosa. And I love it. It's just such a great name. Uh (laughs) And then I have a Facebook page. We have one for the Oya experience, and that's O-Y-A. And then we also have one for my photography page, which is just Darcy Benincosa Photography. And um, yeah, or they can just send me an email, and I'll send them the application. And my email address is darcy.benincosa at
0: gmail.com. Great. And we'll have all of this on the VU Avant website. Darcy, thank you so much for being here today, for being so brave and so candid. I know this is going to impact a lot of people, especially women.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It is just such a pleasure to connect with you and to have you in my life and the magical way that we met.
0: I just adore you. Thank you as well. Thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. Did you like this podcast? If so, rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next week, good night and Sat Nam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com, all rights reserved.